I'm naturally interested in people. And if you're working for me, I'm going to want to know about you. I'm going to want to bring you on. I'm going to want to develop you. It just makes good business sense for people to feel nurtured. But I am naturally interested in people. Welcome to the How They Lead podcast, hosted by Benjamin Wade and Ben Stocken. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of high performance, showcasing examples of how individuals and teams can reach their full potential. Together, they'll be inviting amazing guests who have defined or represented high performance in their own right, from world record breakers to individuals who have achieved first in their fields. The How They Lead podcast will showcase a diverse range of guests, each with their unique stories and insights to share. So join us as we challenge traditional ways of doing things, explore new ideas, methods and possibilities, and evolve the way people perform. Perfect. Hannah, welcome to our latest episode of How They Lead. As you know, we invite guests from all different backgrounds at the forefront of leadership, taking on board teams, or they're just great at being followers, hearing about their journey so that some of our listeners can take away tools, tips, or nuggets of information. This one's going to be really interesting for me. We've got similar backgrounds, but then you went on to Dragon's Den, grew your company, sold it, and went on a, a whirlwind journey. So I'm probably going to sit back, relax, and uh, listen to what you have to offer on this episode. Sounds good. I'd like to pass it over to you and hear all about yourself and why you've decided to join us today. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I think what you what you guys are doing is very interesting with the focus on also the followership and the leadership. So yeah, I'm truly excited to come on. Um, I Yeah, so we do have similar backgrounds. I was in the REF for nine years as an HR officer, which sounds a bit boring, but it was actually very interesting because people are interesting. And luckily, I got an HR master's from it, which was very helpful. And then what I did next, uh, when I left the armed forces, I set up a company called Toddle, which is a children's skincare company, because my eldest son had really sensitive skin. And it sort of came in a time in my life, I didn't want to be deploying away from my children, you know, I wanted to be in the country more. (laughs) So yeah, I decided to set up the company at that time not knowing much about business at all. I used a company called X-Forces, um, who are a, I don't know if they're a charity, CIC, I'm not sure, help uh, veterans into business. So we'll get to it later, actually, about how little I actually knew at the time. But yeah, so I set up Toddle. We went through our first investment round in 2020. We launched two days before lockdown. Rather than by sort of business acumen, it was more luck that we smashed our first year targets because we sold hand sanitizers so we were right place right time but then we did need to pivot to be digital so that was challenging I'm sure we'll come to that uh and then fast forward we ended up on Dragon's Den had a phone call from the producer did we want to go on it wasn't really something I wanted to do didn't need to do it but I'm never one to turn down an opportunity on Dragon's Den got the investment from Deborah Meaden and Stephen Bartlett And then journey on to about six months ago when somebody wanted to buy the business and I completed on the sale about a month ago now. So it's been a whirlwind journey from the military to being a startup founder to then being an exited founder. It's, yeah, it's been sort of five years of uh, blood, sweat and tears. (laughs) So much to dig into there. There's uh, all sorts. I think we've got to work hard to try and squeeze that into half an hour. Yeah. I mean, okay. my, my first question was, um, so you, you left the, the military. What made you leave? Because actually just taking that risk and leaving 
the solid foundation and the, the military itself after sort of nine years, that was a, a big jump and a big risk to begin with before you then started Tuddle. Yeah, and I, I come from a, a slightly different background in that my parents aren't very supportive. My parents haven't spoken to me for a number of years and my brother and my sister as well. So I didn't come from a supportive background. So going into the RAF, I had that family, that support, that community, people that cared about me. And I really thrived in the military and I felt like I really found myself. I really uh, found my work ethic, my confidence, because it had given me so much. When I came to leave, I did wonder, am I going to resort back to being lazy, no work ethic, no direction? Um, and yeah, that was that fear, how much of my identity is sort of embedded in the RAF and how much of me is now, you know, more mature, more able, more confident to go out into business away from this sort of safe place of the RAF. So I think I found it harder than most leaving the military. But um, I don't I don't want to turn this into like a massive plug for ex-forces, but uh, I went to their self-employment workshop day as part of the resettlement process. And from then on in, they held my hands. They helped me with my first business plan. They helped me get my first loan from the British Business Bank, which was our per- first piece of funding into the company. And the first time anyone sort of took us seriously, and I'd say everything else that happened subsequently came from the confidence that I got from from ex-forces and them really helping me with those sort of fundamentals at the beginning. But it is, for any military people looking to leave, you are probably going to feel quite nervous and quite scared. But what's outside is so much more exciting, in my opinion. Nice. Thank you. You like you shared you shared quite a lot just in just in what you shared there. Just how has so how has your 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 kind of your your family, your background, your your family in the RAF, you know, in terms of that that support network and that that structure and that and then and then becoming an entrepreneur and, and going through that, how has that either changed or reinforced your approach to kind of leading people and leading a business? I do think I go into every scenario as, as a fairly empathetic person. And that's also as a leader. So if, if people are going through anything, I, I feel like I've got quite good emotional intelligence at dealing with people, which I think is really important. One of the really key things, I think, um, having that sort of emotional intelligence, which however I've ended up with it, even though it's through maybe quite a difficult situation, also really helps with business. So when it comes to sales, when it comes to figuring out investors, what they're thinking. I'm very attuned to other people's feelings. Now, when you're a child, that can be a bit you know, detrimental uh, to child development. But as an adult, it's a bit of a superpower because I, I, I can tell when someone's really you know, interested and when I've got more leverage when it comes to an investor or a, a supply, like a retailer. And equally, I, I think I can understand when somebody's not interested and um, it's time for me to back off uh, or, try a diff- or try a different tack. So yeah, that like, emotional intelligence that comes from that difficult upbringing I do think makes you a better leader and able to to like tap into how people work tap into when they're feeling down you know they might be trying to if you're the startup boss and you're a small team they might be trying to big you up and hide their feelings because they don't want you to worry so it's just picking up on those little nuances um, that people do give off but often don't say yeah and do you like for for you because I agree I think that ability to read people and gain insights from how best to interact with them to either influence or get the best outcome for you, them, etc., is is really, really important. And there's there's a nature nurture bit. There's like, how do you, you, everyone has a raw material, like from backgrounds and experiences and where they've lived and cultures of that. And then there's a nur- then there's a nurture bit, um, which is probably about the learnt, applying, observing, seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. So when when you are when you're consciously, because it sounds to me like you're consciously doing it, using it as a conscious skill, 
when you're when you are applying this, um, what are you looking for? So if you're in front of someone who you want to influence, be that someone in your team, a retailer, a supplier, whatever, right? Yeah. What are you observing? So what what I'll do, say it was an investor, I would stalk him or her on LinkedIn extensively. I would know more about that person than everyone else in the room, perhaps even a family member. So I would learn that they like mountain biking or what football team they support, you know, what have you. Because the first thing you need is to form that connection with another person. People like to invest in people. People like to buy from people. And, it, and uh, I learned fairly early on, if I can just get them to like me and want to work with me, we can sort of iron out the rest later. And it was very much the strategy I had for Dragon's Den. I knew everything about those dragons. We were in there for two, I was in there for two and a half hours. Um, the negotiation took 40 minutes. So I had time to demonstrate I really knew them. And I think that went quite a large way. But when I know a lot about them, I will start asking non-business related questions and from, from there, that's when you really get to know people. That's when they give more of themselves with eye contact or lack of eye contact. How animated do they look? Do they want to talk to me about this topic? Because if we're not going to get on with the basic, the chemistry isn't there, then perhaps the rest won't work either. So I take a really personal approach and really get to know them. And I can tell when somebody's just, it's not going to work. They're not my cup of tea. I'm not theirs. And I will start to back off. But yeah, that would be my approach just to be slightly more personal and, and see where you get um obviously not crossing any boundaries it's just interest-based hobbies you know family stuff like that um but yeah they give themselves away i think easier when you disarm them like that uh, but yeah there's so many non-verbal cues aren't there that people give somebody sat there like this just staring at you i'm feeling judged yeah i'm, feeling judged, but I'm also thinking like how much has hannah been all over our LinkedIn? what research <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's building that trust, isn't it? That trust and rapport, breaking down those barriers, but also being memorable. So if it's you and 10, 15, 20 others and everyone's looking for investment, actually, if you're asking those questions and you've bothered to do the research, yeah. you're going to stand out and be memorable. They'll remember you, they'll remember your name or the product, and then the investment should should come. So people will be more likely to remember you for your Ironman, for example, or or being in the military than, than running this business. And that's, that's maybe a bit sad, but they're interesting things, you know, or your kids or... But then that should lead to ongoing business or potential investment because we've built up that rapport and got that connection. Yeah. Um, it's the same as marketing, isn't it, and LinkedIn. It comes to like hiring as well, doesn't it? Like actually, you know, when, when it comes to hiring, people like, have, have being able to have that connection and, and understand like, you know, each way as well as it being like an outward bound business thing, it's also a talent attraction thing, which is, is super important in terms of like, am I going to be able to, to, to give my trust to this person? and vice versa like it's a foundational thing well and, and trying to lead a team as well how often do you take the time to actually look at the motivating values of your team mm -hmm. and the individuals on that team and really get to know them on a much deeper level as you've just alluded to with the investors that's the same as a team exactly i find it very strange when you see these sort of articles they say how can you get to know your team learn their children's birthday, learn what football team they support. It's like, I do that stuff anyway. I'm naturally interested in people. And if you're working for me, I'm going to want to know about you. I'm going to want to bring you on. I'm going to want to develop you. It just makes good business sense for people to feel nurtured, but I am naturally interested in people. But yeah, sort of teaching people how not to be robots. Go and ask them about their kids. Okay, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. It's probably amazing how often it isn't done though. Yeah, write them down. Write their name down. Like, yeah. Which, uh, which dragon did you learn the most about? Are you allowed to say? Which, which one did you want the investment from? Peter. <laughs> I can I would say now when they pushed me in the den when they're doing that pre-interview thing they're like which dragon do you want um I thought I'm not getting I'm not getting yeah this because I would really be grateful for investment off any of them and they show that obviously so if I'm like oh I don't want Tuka but he's the only one that offered me and 
you know, an offer, then I would have taken it. But no, I, I really didn't want to go. <laughs> I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Background. Um, there was a, like just unfair. Some overlapping skill, although he's obviously incredibly successful, but I felt that where I really lacked skill was was more in the Deborah Mead and the Stephen Bartlett domain. And to some extent, Sarah Davies as well. I would have liked all three. And I did get an offer from her, but Deborah and Stephen wanted to go into a partnership. And I've seen negotiations break down where people ask for too much in the den. So I pushed and pushed and pushed to the point. I thought, here's the limit, I think, for everyone in this room. And yeah, got the dream team of Deborah and Stephen. But I yeah, I did know a lot about them. Did they, did they recognize that? Did they, because like you said 40 minutes negotiation. Yeah. And of course the TV shows like five seconds. So that, 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 that's really interesting. So in that, did, did they recognize, did you see any kind of like eyes widening, like the sort of things that people would give away? They're like, wow, you've done your research. I've got them here. So actually not them, but Peter Jones, I bought some of his socks. I don't know if you know, he runs a sock company. You when I bought some, I, I didn't wear them because the outfit didn't lend itself to socks, unfortunately. But it was one of the first things I said is, Your socks are so bloody comfortable. And he was like, Oh, thanks very much. You know, you could tell he was actually quite. I know, I know these guys are multi millionaires and they get compliments all the time. Um, but just as somebody had taken the time to go and buy some of his socks, he seemed he seemed really impressed. But, but when I then came to work with Deborah and Stephen, I would always make the point of saying, Like, diary of a CEO this week that specific point you know i totally agree you really you really got to the nub of that issue like i thought it was absolutely fantastic like something specific or debbie meaden and her green money podcast i've listened to them all and i'm interested in i'm interested in sustainability anyway so we'd have a chat about that it's just you know showing someone that you care that you listened that you're not just going to take 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 from them that you you know you, you're here to yeah show you care show that you're you're gonna like make an effort i suppose it's not just all on them so is that is that an element of I mean we, we can kind of talk about self leadership a bit like moving on to teamship I guess like you know you you seek investment you secure investment and all of a sudden your your teammates like you know and it's about and I, I think probably what you're talking about there is using your empathetic skill set and deploying it in terms of reciprocity like I've spent and invested some time listening to your podcast I was interested. You're then giving some specific praise and specific praise lands well with everyone, irrespective of if you're a multimillionaire or anything. So in terms of that, that, that teamship bit, how, how is that dynamic between you and your investors and then you and your team? So I think, yeah, interesting. There's always a very healthy dose of respect when you're at the end of a Zoom with Deborah Meaden or Stephen Bartlett. So I would definitely... I was definitely on um, receive a lot more than when I'm with my team. But then learning to shut up is a really important skill. And so I would also try and transmit less to my team because part of the reason I think I set up a successful business is because I do listen. And the people, I was in a, like a startup cohort in an incubator with 10 other startups and two of us sort of made it in that we were still going after year three and eight didn't. And two of the key things with me and the other guy, one, we're both really gritty and I'll talk about that a bit later, but two, he um, was a really good listener and was very receptive to feedback. I don't really think I've got an ego. If I'm wrong about something, I'd much rather someone told me I was wrong and my business succeeds than I'm right and I'm sat with a terrible business. It was always about the business succeeding and always tried to part my ego. So yeah, I'd say the subtle difference there is probably I listened a lot more to Deborah and Stephen and then with my team a little less but it was an ongoing um quest of mine to listen a lot more to people around me because you always i mean as you guys know 
you're always better is the sum of your parts than just you trying to crack on on your own that's why you build a team but it can be quite tricky when you're when you are the startup founder there's no process there's no governance there's no terms of reference written there's no job description there's no org chart and you guys have been through this and you're sat there going well what are our objectives what is our mission i'm getting you into a job i don't even know what it looks like and i've got and then you've got to try and listen whereas as the startup md initially you you are naturally just going to be telling people what to do to some extent because you're all just trying to find your way so it's that balance and when do you start to delegate and when do you start to you know when i I suggest when you've got a slightly bigger team than just one or two yeah you have to take that step back which i did find quite challenging for sure Uh, that was yeah so taking a step back and going from and you mentioned it right at the beginning about followership so obviously at the forefront of leadership in the air force and then leading your team leading your business and then suddenly a, a dragon comes in and you have to be quite open and vulnerable and like you say, take a step back and now be a follower in your own business. How did you how did you find that? Or actually were you quite comfortable with that followership piece? It's really interesting for us and, and what we teach as well. So two of my role models, um Air Marshall Ian Gale, who was a group captain, sorry for non RF people, but like a senior leader when I high ranking. Yeah, when I was a junior officer and I didn't know much at all. He's one of my role models and I would say I would say Deborah Meadham really is one of my other ones because they both have this ability to be assertive and get what they need from a team but they're still kind and I haven't seen any other any other leaders do it quite so well and get that balance without being arrogant or spilling over into being like a bit wet or a bit like people please read oh please could you do this you know they ask for what they want but it's clear they're both incredibly intelligent you know what the mission is you know what the culture is you you, you know with them what's expected but they're very kind and I think with Deborah certainly it was very easy to be a follower of her because the expectations were always very clear he's a very clear communicator and everything she's everything she said was golden for my business so I was very very keen to follow her similarly with Ian Gale he he doesn't know I'm going to talk about on this podcast I can embarrass him now He's just a really, really clear communicator. And any time I went, you know, I did go through some stuff, which is quite public with, with like my mum and stuff. Um, and he was he was so, so supportive. He, he definitely knew when to nurture the person and when to try and grow the job role and that they were both really important. So I'd gladly follow them all day long. And I do think you need to have that, that, that respect for somebody. And once that goes, it becomes very different, very difficult to follow somebody. Yes, I think especially with the journeys that you and I have been on, you wouldn't want to follow somebody now that you didn't necessarily respect. You really need to earn that from your team. Um, it's crucial. And did, did Deborah replicate that at all? Obviously, you brought her in as the, the expert and you had to show some form of followership. Actually, did did she show some vulnerability and say, well, actually, you're the expert in some cases and she would follow you? And how, how did that portray itself? She's the first person to say, I'll default to you on this, uh, whether it was, you know, I think she gets pigeonholed a bit on the show as being just all about sustainability. She really knows a lot about business. She would she would come out with things every single meeting and they'd be absolute gems. But she would she was the first to say, I'm not sure on that at all. You're going to have to default to Stephen. You know more about that than me. And I think that's so, she exudes such natural confidence because it's, I think, a really, a, a person who really, there's there's no ego and they just really understand themselves to say, don't know, you not my bag enough to default somebody else and yeah she just exudes that sort of that inner confidence i think that's a really important point to hear because only yesterday we were talking about the hero mode weren't we yeah yeah. and how you think that you have to know everything you're the expert you're in that position of authority 
you can't possibly show vulnerability and say, actually, I don't know. Yeah. And go to your experts or your team. It's quite difficult. Yeah. Like, I think I'm, there's no... What go I was going to say is a, for exactly it. that. And then as a follower of her, I if I didn't know then, I wasn't like, oh, no, I don't know this thing and she's asking me. I'd say, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to go and check. And it's something I... I now do broadly. I mean, I'm not running that business anymore, but I'm doing lots of other things. And I'm the first to say, yeah, I don't know there. Because actually, you look so much worse than if you if you sort of say yes and try and fumble through it or you lied. Just, oh, that's not a good look. Yeah. And I think it's like, there's there's dis- the word discipline just resonates with me, actually, in terms of, you know, that, that followership element of the Deborah role modeled for you. I mean, we're going back to self-leadership again, like her role modeling how she wants how she wants you mm. as a leader she's developing within her portfolio of investments is her demonstrating that her discipline in terms of communication so frugality with her her words and being really laser focused with that but then also the discipline to say this is not in my wheelhouse this isn't and, and this is for you that that's an incredible incredibly hard thing to achieve because if you if you if you think that you might have a chance of doing it better, faster, quicker, at better quality than the person, then yeah, like like the science just tells us that you get rewarded with a little dopamine hit when when you jump in and save the day. But actually, not only might you be wrong, the best idea might not win. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And you're stifling the development of others as well, aren't you? By always saying yes and jumping in, you're not allowing other people to flourish and develop either. And when I was in the RF, especially, um, I sort of led a an HR assurance team where my my feedback was quite valuable I would often say quiet if I was in a room of especially older men um, and I would think no I, my my experience or my sort of point isn't going to be met very well in this situation and I would back right off until I read Lean In great book and yeah I've got something to say and I'm actually the expert in this room on this specific topic and I can actually really be helping these people and, and sometimes they were saying things that weren't true or they didn't have quite the full you know like all the information so it's something that as I've got older, I found I'm much more able to do. And how about that? Because going back back up the other way, so like telling Deborah when you thought she was wrong, how difficult was that? Because you get that in the Air Force as well, don't you? In the cockpit and you probably know like that, that cockpit gradient where you've got someone who's either older, more experienced, the higher rank. You, you It's difficult to say, no, I think you're wrong because they're more experienced. But you'd obviously have to come across that. How difficult was that? Yeah. Well, when I was in the RAF, that's part, part of one of the reasons I left I was starting to get quite frustrated because as you know flight lieutenant it's no rank at all you don't have any say um and sometimes when I was saying I try to avoid your wrong but sometimes I really think certain situations I really I won't go into any details um I was just a bit frustrated and so it was really refreshing to leave and be in charge of just everything so rightly or wrongly if this succeeds it's on me if it fails abysmally it's all on me but yeah I think I don't know if Deborah ever was wrong I knew you were going to do that. I was the minute when you said that. The minute I thought, I was like, I just don't think she gets it wrong. Very often. She's just always right. But that, that, but that's 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 repetitions, isn't it? Like in terms of like her development, and we're kind of hypothesizing here. But you've got you've got repetitions of plan, do, review, and like observing her as an operator, like through TV, but you in you in first person. I imagine she's a brilliant self reflector. Yeah, she spent so long refining it. Yeah, and she and you could see she, that process was happening whilst we were having meetings. So she, so I'd give her sort of a download of everything that was happening in the company, and she'd say, "Right, I could maybe I could introduce you to that person." Then she might go, "Actually, no, because that happened, and you're not quite right. You're not the right fit there. No, you need to start maybe exporting because this company did this." She's got such a wide case study load in her head of every business she's ever witnessed from you know all different markets, all different sort of 
channels, um, all different products. And you can see that she's using all of that hindsight while she's thinking of how she can help you. And it's just, I mean, I could read thousands of books and still not be anywhere near the level of knowledge that she's got. So that that was brilliant. But no, if I can think of any any time she was wrong, I will let you know. I'm struggling. Brilliant. Part <laughs> struggling two. Struggling to be. Part yeah. two. Uh, Hannah, like, so just thinking about, you know, obviously we've looked at kind of self-leadership, teamship, followership. As, as your business kind of, you received the investment, you kind of scaled the business. Yeah. As you got towards that growth bit and there was the interest to sell, how how did that sales decision to kind of step away from your your creation, your team, et cetera, how, 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 did, how did you wrestle with that decision or was it quite cut and dry? I think for, for, for numerous reasons, it became quite cut and dry. So one, the offer was good, which obviously you can't avoid money. We all need money. So that was a key factor because I think being honest, having run a startup for five years, you don't always pay yourself very well. And I think it's something that a lot of startup leaders are ashamed to talk about, don't want to talk about. They assume because I run a successful business, I'm going to be a multimillionaire of PA, well, dividends, PAY, however you want to pay yourself. But that's not the case. A lot of startups, especially, are planning money back in for that growth and to really drive that scale, especially to avoid losing any more equity. So I was paying myself quite modestly for a long time, and I'm not ashamed to say that. So I was really waiting for the big payout at the end. So I think for us as a family, it's not about me either. It's about my husband, my kids. They've been on that journey with me. They'd sacrificed a lot. We put money into this. So when it was finally, hey, this has all worked out, here's here's the offer, it, it did it was quite a um, an easy decision. And the person that's bought is somebody that was in from the word go, one of my initial investors who runs several different companies. That I can trust them. They're, they, they've taken the reins really well. Um, I think they're, you know, leading the team really well. The handover period was long and I'm still a consultant for the business. I'm still a shareholder. So I think all of the um, the conditions for me were met that it was actually, it was probably the perfect sale, to be honest, um, is, is easy. Which doesn't happen very often, does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 get, we, get, we get to speak to obviously quite, quite a few people that are like serial entrepreneurs and we might be helping them with their second or third business in terms of helping them put their, their leadership team together. And, and it's quite often they don't get that, that, that scenario. So, um, so that's, that, that's great. Is there anything that we haven't, we haven't covered in, in the conversation so far that you thought, kind of in preparation for talking to us that actually would be really valuable for you to share with our listeners? I think one of the key things is, um, I don't know if you're going to ask me the West Peak question. Shall I do that? Go on, you ask. Oh, yeah, you ask. Concentrate, isn't it? Because this, I think this is like a really nice, like, like, I really love it. I really love the idea of it, basically. So my sort of West Peak moment, if I've understood it right, is the fact that I throw myself gung-ho into just everything. And I'm an optimist, naturally, by design. So when I left the RF to start my business, we were going to be just a baby skincare business. Uh, sorry, baby lip balm business. That's the crucial bit. And I was going to sell business to business. So I was going to go be a trade seller. And then I very quickly understood just how difficult it was going to be to set up a, a one-product FMCG company with like, a broader brand, investment, to scale to scale and get it get it into trade i'd have to prove the concept first so some d2c sales amazon sales um i i needed an actual brand not just a logo so i left the military thinking i had the skills to set up a business because i was resilient 
office, uh, senior officers had asked me to do all sorts of things that I can just turn, turn to. I'm adaptable, I'm flexible, I can talk to people, I've got initiative. I had no idea how hard it would be. And I think I was, well, I was quite young at the time, but not that young. And I think a health, there was a healthy dose of sort of naivety. So I didn't know a lot thinking I did know and have just is baptism of fire I've just had to learn luckily I've got extensive networks which I've really worked on nurturing over the years and boy have I realized just how important it is to just meet as many people as you can who are ahead of you um but that is another point actually I really do try and surround myself with entrepreneurs who are ahead of me or people from uh, the corporate world as well who are ahead of me and I'm involved with several different networks where I have just you know I have counsel from some just incredible people and I, I do think that's one of the benefits actually from going on the den that nobody really talks about. You get the money, you get the dragons, you get the exposure, but then you get exposed to this ecosystem of entrepreneurs. Yeah, you tried. 15, 20 of them now. And we, we in there's sort of like a little bond between us who are all doing amazing things with multi-million pound companies. And so surrounding yourself with those people and not the people who are saying, oh, that seems a bit difficult. I'm not sure you could do that. Yeah, my my West Peak moment. If I've understood the concept, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that, that's that, that's yeah, a perfect yeah. example of it. When you reach that that point, like the, the West Peak, the summit, and it was all about the lip balms, a lot of people would just sort of ignorantly persevered and carried on that route. But you obviously pivoted or realised and had the nuance to try something different. Yeah, how did you go about doing that? Because I think a lot of people would be think probably at this point now thinking, I just need to keep going. It will work. It will work. But actually, you thought it won't work. I need to do something different. Yeah, I think that back to that sort of not having an ego and listening thing, if, if people sat me down, people I, re- I really respected, like some business coaches early on in the day, and I went to business workshops, and in early investors I spoke to, because money talks, if they don't want to invest in something, there's a reason. So I think, you know, the, the end goal was I want to run a successful business. I, I think I was quite wedded to the lip balm thing initially, um, but it ended up being one of our worst sellers. So I think that's one of the key things, actually, is um, I started sort of getting that MVP into the market. And as I was testing the market, the results were also telling me as well as these other. Right. Okay. But I think I learned during that sort of first Q1, Q2 of like those first initial bits. If I'm going to do this, I need to park what I think I know. But we had a different name and I'm embarrassed to say it was like bubble lips or something, something awful. (laughs) I had really firm ideas about the logo, which looked bad and then I quickly realized if I get people in who know this stuff and are very good at this stuff like I got a very very gifted graphic designer in who who did the whole brand and you know what what that's like beyond just a logo um and she really set us off on a path of right I need to use professionals and I need to just yeah I can't know everything it will look different and the more different it started to look but the more successful it became I think the more I sort of really went for that sort of ethos to the point where when we were um up and running just before the pandemic and we were trying to do a business to business model obviously the pandemic came along that died i very quickly pivoted to d2c and that's where our primary revenue came from for the next three years was d2c so yeah i think just being really flexible to what's you know what could really help your business has been so key and it can be really difficult if you if you've been if you've got this clear vision this clear idea you're really wedded to something i mean i was coming up with the business uh, the lip balm business for about three years but yeah the, i mean I, I don't care at the end of the day if i ended up running a fencing company if it makes me money then <laughs> it's um you, why not it, 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 you know so is this is this you you spoiling 
us by telling us the next business is a fencing, fencing company. Is that, is, that, is that where we're going with this? Um, I, think, I think what you've just shared there is, is no one else has shared yet on the West Peak question. So there's a couple of bits there. One is that actually th there's always a false summit. Like actually you get to a level, don't you? And you go again. So you've just done a, a false summit to a summit. You've exited your business. Like you've probably now going through this kind of process where you're like, well, actually like kind of where, where are the next summits and what are the next false summits? But the bit that I really want to, I want our listeners and, and viewers to dial in on is, is actually you can get to the false summit, have the winds knocked out of your sails and be like, oh my goodness, I don't know this. There's so much more. And what, what we haven't on any episode yet covered is what's the fastest way to get you from false summit to West Peak. And, and actually that's expertise. And I think I really like the way you talked about surrounding yourself with a tribe yeah. that, that's further down the road from you using, you know, experts like your graphic designer, you know, and, and investing in that as a way to just accelerate your learning and your business. And I think that that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And on the, on the expertise point, I get people now in my LinkedIn inbox saying, oh, can you help me? And I can't help everyone. And, and you know, I am quite busy. The ones that stand out are the people that say, and I did this when I, in that sort of first year, I would find out about the person, you know, Bill likes golf. He likes cricket. He sports Gloucester rugby, whatever. Oh, hi, Bill. I'm from Gloucester. Just any connection, you know, and um, I'd be very grateful if I could take you out for dinner, not like that, but like or, or buy you a drink because I know. Take you to the cricket. Take you to the cricket. I know half an hour of your time will save me months of me potentially trying to grow my business. I specifically really need help with this, this and this. And I would say 95% of when I asked somebody to help me like that, I did get in front of the person. I got to ask them the questions. Crucially, you then follow up that evening if you can and say, thanks so much for your time, Bill. These specific ways that you help me are going to save me time. And then if you can follow up in you know, a month, two months, we got the contract with Boots, Bill you know there's some flowers in the post or something that's how to treat very busy people where you a bit of their time a bit of their mentoring you know opening some doors for you and when people I don't need flowers or cricket or whatever but when people just come to me and say look I, I saw you in the den I was really interested in specifically picking your brain on this bit the, the ones I don't like are when people come to me and say I just need help with my business and I think oh like 10 hours worth of <laughs> You know, and I don't like compliments, but if, do you know anything about me? Um, like, I do get people saying, I love what you're doing with Toddle. I think it's just incredible. Um, you know, it, like I'm currently running it when all over my LinkedIn is that I've exited. I'm not doing it anymore. It's like at least have a look at the, the basics, really. Um, yeah. Well, and the issue there is it's all take, 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 isn't it? It's all I want, I want this. It's not giving you anything back. So why, why would you want to entertain them and build up that relationship? It's, yeah. it's a bit like the, the book. Is it the Pitching Manifesto? Yeah, not pinching. Not, not, not pitching. pitching, yeah. So how to, how to sell, basically, through conversation and collaboration, you, you might credit, rather than pitches and proposals. And then rather than prescribing a solution, actually understanding what, what the problem of the client is, rather than telling them what you think they want, actually yeah. just listen. And, and, and the, bit, the bit you've just shared there, Hannah, around around people kind of in, in your LinkedIn emails, et cetera, actually, for everyone who's listening and watching who it was within an organization, that is exactly how you try and approach getting a mentor within your organization. Be really specific, be really clear on your ask in terms of time and expertise and how it will help you and benefit the business. Mm. And that, 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 that's good followership for you as a follower, trying to, trying to kind of secure a mentor internally as well. Mm. Yeah, really good point. That means they've actually spent the time thinking about it as well. Yeah, yeah, completely. Hannah, thank you so much. This has been 
It's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like there's a part two coming up at some point. Well, yeah, I think I think just on our journey, we've learned quite a bit as well. Yeah, following in your in your footsteps. You know, it's, uh, yeah. So I, I won't I won't go on because we've we spoke about this. We don't like no, not at all. Hours. The only question that um you did send that I was interested in answering um because it's probably a bit different my response because you you um asked I think when had I seen a team work really well um and I think f- for me I play hockey. And it's my hockey team because you you have to work together. There's otherwise, if I was a lone player on that pitch against eleven others, I would lose. So you have to work together. Everybody knows their role because everyone's got certain positions, whether you're a mid, a forward, whatever. You know, so you, so you've got those sort of terms of reference. You know exactly what you need to do if you're a defender. You defend if you're attacking. You attack, and then also you know what good looks like because there'll be a score at the end of it. There's like a clear KPI, and then between you you figure out how to improve and I think that's what was very hard when I was initially starting up is there isn't you don't know where the mids are you don't know where the attackers are you don't know what good looks like so I I'm trying to give sort of hockey advice for a sport I don't even know and that process and governance especially coming from the military where you you go into a job and you've got a team set around you with all the ranks around you all the job descriptions what you know what the the terms are for the job that I didn't expect to be quite as difficult as it was and you can get some amazing people and if you don't know that stuff you're not going to get the best out of them so I, I think yeah for me um I, I've been through it once so I've got a better idea now of how to build but I would just say to anyone with in a startup don't worry if you are finding it really hard to build your team and really and you're finding it hard to communicate the direction that you're going in um it's that's definitely one of the hardest bits that I don't actually hear about in a lot of um, in, uh, podcasts. And I don't think it's spoken about enough, actually. Yeah. It's a, yeah, I, I like that. I, like that. I, yeah, that yeah, well. I think it's like really personally from our perspective, like, you know, we're we're subject matter experts in in doing this and helping people create those teams from groups, et cetera. doesn't mean that we like smash it all the time. Like actually building West Peak as we go, it, it's a real like case study in itself of sometimes like some days what not to do, and and you're like okay well actually we wouldn't we wouldn't do that with a client but you're right those those sporting analogies and those military analogies like they're fantastic translating them into the reality of uh, attracting the right people building the right processes and play and then adhering to those because in a startup environment adhering to those processes that are new like there can be one person in the business who um who sometimes could be like do you know what? I just did this because it was faster and and it was like it was make or break time but I think there comes a point where you need to you need to then like marry and wedge yourself to yep. to, to those those ways of working. Otherwise, you, you get you get dysfunctional. Well, it sounds like I could have used West Peak. And for anyone out there who's struggling with that specific <laughs> issue, use West Peak. We've come full circle. You see. Oh, look at that! Nice. Oh, look at that! We'll get that clip. That. Get that clip. <laughs> the flowers and the cricket are in the post. <laughs> so many snippets and nuggets to take away. That was uh, that was pretty pretty amazing. The one thing we didn't ask was what your actual leadership style was, but I think we've got a good understanding all the way through all the different variables that go into it and i don't know if you've actually got one i think specific style to be honest from what you've been saying you know what i just treat everybody as an individual i don't think i'd ever i've ever given my leadership style i mean at crown where they force you to give it a great deal of thought don't they but out in the real world just whatever's in front of me i will react to whatever's in front of me and i think we've gone over like that element of it um you've got to treat people as individuals and it can't be forced and it can't be a play-by-play of ask them if they have any children write down when their birthdays are like authentically get to know people authentically care about them which is easy for me because i am genuinely interested in people um 
And I think everything else can build on the foundation of that. And I think that any time I've dealt with Deborah Meaden or Ian Gale, like the two role models I thought with this stuff very well, they got those basics right. I felt like when I was in their company, they cared. They cared about my development. They also cared about the business and what we needed to do together. But there was that authentic, then that authenticity that sort of was really exuded from them that I felt they're really on my side. And so I think if, if I could be a leader, it would be like one of those two to try and replicate those two. Be interested, be authentic, treat everyone as individuals. Yeah. And just be nice. Be nice. Be yeah. kind. I think kindness goes a long way. Brilliant. Hello, that was amazing. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. A good 40 minutes of uh, amazing tips to take away. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on the How They Lead podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and learned something new about the world of high performance. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And don't forget to subscribe to the How They Lead podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Until next time, keep pushing yourself to reach your full potential and evolve the way you perform. And remember, just because something has always been done a certain way, doesn't mean doing it a new way can't work.